we are at the trading deadline already. Soon enough, the season will just be flat out over. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network, which you can find on any and all platforms, not least of which are Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Anchor. We're everywhere. Set us to auto-downloads. We'll really appreciate it. Today at 4 p.m. is the deadline for the Pirates to make whatever moves Ben Charrington actually can make. And my goodness, has he had his hands tied. As a result, I really hope expectations are not sky high here for what he can pull off. Because all of his best pieces to trade, and by that I'm talking about the really obvious guys, Josh Bell, Brian Reynolds, if you were really going full-blown kaboom fireworks level rebuild, those guys are very much in the discussion. They've all bottomed out career-wise hitting. Yes, Bell hit a monstrous home run yesterday in Milwaukee in the Pirates' 5-1 to victory. Yes, the Pirates have won six out of their last ten. But individually, you're still not seeing what you'd want to see in terms of trade assets developing. I mean, I could have just kept going with that list. Kevin Newman, Adam Frazier, almost all of the pitchers, for one reason or another, became unavailable. Some via performance, some, of course, via injury. You're seeing now the market all across baseball getting sizzling hot for closers. And what happens to the Pirates? They don't just lose their closer, Keone Kella, they lose... Kyle Crick, who would have been the closer. They lose Nick Birdie, who was throwing 100 miles an hour and just embarrassing hitters. Those were their top three relievers. Who does Charrington have left to trade? Richard Rodriguez? Okay, well, Richard goes out and blows the game Saturday night to the Brewers, although he did bounce back yesterday to his credit. The market is always good for starting pitchers. Except that the Pirates don't have any of those really to give up either, at least not that are performing well. If you had everything on the table, you'd be talking about Joe Musgrove, who's out with an injury. You'd be talking about Trevor Williams, except that he's been awful. What do you have left? What do you have that you can move? Derek Holland was another guy, lefty, who could throw out of the pen or as a starter. He might still get moved today, but then he goes out and gets bombed for eight runs the other night. I just, if Ben Charrington had any doubts about what kind of wreckage was left behind by Neil Huntington and Kyle Stark, and then what kind of lousy luck he'd run into with the 13 players out to injury, they're all coming home to roost today, my friends, all of them. And yet, and yet, if it felt like this whole spiel was leading to an and yet, it just crashed into that wall. And yet there is one player, arguably a couple, but one in particular, who has risen above 
who might have value to a team somewhere who might get you something in return, who's actually turned out to be one of, if not the best players at his position in this calendar year. I know you're scratching your head, right? It's Jacob Stallings. Just no one thinks of him that way. If I had a dime for every person I heard over this past offseason say, they're doing what? They're just going to go with Stallings as their catcher? Why? Because they're thinking maybe of his dad and the terrible run that he had uh, as Pitts head coach briefly in basketball. But he's been outstanding defensively for the duration of his time in Pittsburgh, and he's turned himself into a pretty good hitter. In fact, by some metrics, has been the best hitting catcher in all of baseball this year. Now, he's 31. That's not going to excite teams. It's not like he's got some great future, except for one thing, and that is that he still has four additional years of control. So he might as well be 24 or 25 because you can keep the guy that long and you can win with him. And if there are teams out there that are looking for catching, as much as it'll hurt the Pirates of now as if that matters, to lose a guy like that, you'd certainly listen. And this is a player, and I say this respectfully, people sometimes think of trades as punitive things or get that guy out of here, trade that bum. That's not how the best trades happen. The best trades happen whenever you move somebody who has real value and you get something that you need more in the other direction. For those of you who go way back, that's how and why you move a Tony Pena, because you get back Andy Van Slyke and Mike Lavalier. There was also a pitcher in that deal named Mike Dunn, but that's that's getting Van Slyke and Lavalier is what leads to your division titles. Tony Pena was getting near the end there. Everybody thought, how can you do this? How can you do that? He's one of the best catchers, and he was. He was one of the great catchers in Pirates history. When that deal was made, it was not popular. And then they watched Andy playing center field, and they saw the way Mike Lavalier could pick up uh, pitchers and their rhythms and manage the base paths and hit a little bit himself, too. Spanky could swing the bat. And it's one of the best trades in Pirates history. Why? You moved a guy at peak value, even though he was older, even though he was popular. Stallings obviously isn't popular. Nobody's going to be popular on a team that's got 10 wins in 31 games. But he's been productive. He's been really, really good. And if you're Ben Charrington, you do have to start moving players for prospects. You have to replenish that minor league system. That's the only way the team is going to get back to contention. It's not going to be by hanging on to a 31-year-old catcher. And it's not going to be, for that matter, by moving guys like Bell, like Frazier, like Trevor Williams uh, at lowest possible value. If those guys are still Pittsburgh property by 4.01 p.m. today, that'll only mean that Charrington wisely held on to guys who nobody was willing to pay an appropriate price for. Nobody was willing to say, hey, we know this guy might be struggling right now, but we think, uh, we think the world of him, we're going to try to find a way to pick him up. 
it's a 60-game season. You're not going to see a whole lot of that sentiment in general. If somebody's struggling now, they don't have time to wait for him to get out of it. Fascinating day this is going to be. Really looking forward to it. Make sure you're checking out DK Pittsburgh Sports uh, all day long. We're going to be covering this with a live file uh, where you can track not just what's going on with the Pirates, uh, with our Alex Stumpf, who's up in Milwaukee, but also anything that's happening around baseball. It's going to be a, a lively live file, if you will. When we come back, we're going to switch gears to football and introduce a new sponsor. weekend at Heinz Field. This segment of Daily Shot, I am proud to let you know, is now brought to you by Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George, a personal injury law firm in western Pennsylvania that represents injured people in car accidents, workers' comp, medical malpractice. The attorneys at LGKG, which is what they go by, pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. It's important to them that when they make you a promise, that they keep that promise. They've been doing that for over 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. And you can learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. Give you the number again. It's 888-842-5454. 5454 and tell our good friend Larry that we sent you. The Steelers did their version, interpretation, however you'd want to characterize it, of the racial injustice protests that have been taking place across the country, including in the world of sports. And theirs was predictably different. Uh, the Steelers don't march to other people's drums. They never have. We saw that with the way they handled the anthem situations. We saw that with the way they were the only team to vote against the previous labor agreement. They're the Steelers. They're not waiting to find out what the other 31 teams do. So when they took the field this past Friday night for a night practice, this was at Heinz Field, In the rain, they ended up standing side by side, all of them, not just players, coaches, staff, administrators. Mike Tomlin's standing dead center, and he's flanked to either side, but but back a little bit away from him by Art Rooney, by Kevin Colbert, and he does all of the speaking. If you haven't heard his speech, I can't recommend it strongly enough. There are people who in this process are going to be more genuine than others. That's just 
normal. There are going to be people in this process who are going to be better speakers than others, also just normal. No one's going to be more of both of those things than what Tomlin was. I'm not going to paraphrase it for you. I'm not going to play any of it for you because I want you to go and find it and hear the whole thing if you haven't already. It's well worth it. The reason that I'm bringing it up here today is that for all the things that change about sports, about life, the Steelers stay the same. And in the case of Mike Tomlin's tenure, the one answer that I've asked athletes that has never varied has been, who's the leader on this team? I can promise you, if I went around to every team in professional sports, every last one of them, including the ones we have in Pittsburgh, and ask them, who is the leader of this team? If I do that with the Penguins, everyone's going to say Sidney Crosby. If I do that at the Pirates, they're all going to say Joe Musgrove. If I do that with any NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball team anywhere, I'm going to get a player, not in Pittsburgh, never with the Steelers. I have asked this question in all kinds of different ways, not to trick anybody or anything, but just to, you know, find out, like, hey, who's really taking charge here? Who's the leader? Who's really stepped up at this training camp? Or who stepped up after that three-game losing streak or whatever? The answer has always, always, always been the same. It's the head coach. He's not super popular at this point with the Steelers fan base. Three playoff wins in nine years isn't anywhere near good enough. Missing the playoffs two years in a row, even with the injury to Ben last year, not good enough. I get it. I appreciate it. I've criticized the man myself, notably for his in-game coaching. But the one thing that you can never, ever, ever take away from the guy is that he is the leader of this team, and he has led this team and its culture, which, by the way, very, very unfairly came under attack because of one idiot. And notice how since the idiot's been gone, nobody talks about the Steelers' culture problem anymore. Mike Tomlin has been the leader of this team on and off the field, unlike anyone I've ever covered, whether it's a player, coach, administrator, executive, GM, owner, anything. There's been no one like this guy. And that scene the other night, my goodness, you won't find anything like that anywhere else in sports. The respect, the admiration, the trust that they all had to say, you know what, this has been a player's issue, but that's the guy we want speaking for us right now. We are standing, in this case, literally behind him. Absolutely beautiful. I'm going to say it again. Go find it. Listen to the whole thing. When we come back, some hockey, uh, some fun hockey stuff. I think you're going to like this one. Stay with me. Close 
closing out with some hockey today. For however many of you are still watching the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I'm not going to presume that's a ton of people because these ratings haven't been particularly good in the United States, which is kind of what happens when you flee the country to conduct your tournament, but that's another subject for another day. The team that has surprised me the most, and I mean by a mile, has been the Dallas Stars. I, I didn't see this coming. And I'm going to try to explain to you why it's fun to figure out how teams and why teams succeed in the playoffs. This portion of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Their mission is to feed people in need. Their mission is to eliminate hunger in our region. If that's you, if you are in need of food assistance, reach out to them. If you just like to support them, you can do that as well at the same place. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell out those first three words, pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. The Stars beat the Avalanche 5-4. to four. Crazy game yesterday. And they now have a 3-1 series lead with a potential clincher coming up tonight. The Avs, I am not happy to tell you, have been my Stanley Cup pick all along. I absolutely did not see this coming. I thought the Avs might get a struggle from Dallas since they looked pretty stubborn and pesky in the first round. But even then, Dallas was really up and down, and they had these big lapses, giving up these breakaways at the worst time. And it's just they're just a, a an odd team to try to track. When I look at teams in these playoffs that have been a little bit of a surprise, at least I can understand why. Like I look at Vancouver, and they've got they've got some outstanding younger talent, and Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser. Other guys, I didn't even mentioned Quinn Hughes, who's their, probably been their best player on the back line there. They're not a mystery to me. The Islanders aren't a mystery. They're a Barry Trotz team. They're the team that already, as the Penguins found out painfully more than a year ago, had a lot of weapons in place. Trotz was the one that gave them the structure that they needed to compete. So I, I don't have any... There's no shock value in those. If, if either of those teams, you know, continued on, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Dallas, though, Dallas is like when you, when you watch them, it's just a bunch of old guys, right? It's the exact opposite of what you'd think would be succeeding in these playoffs. I mean, they're they're rolling out Corey Perry, a whole bunch of guys, just like like really, like in some cases, you're going, they're still in the league, but it's working. It's working. So I brought this up in a casual conversation with a rather prominent hockey executive who might or might not be in the Hall of Fame, who might or might not be very familiar to local fans. Just kind of shooting the breeze about the playoffs. And he advised me, because I told him about this. I'm not comfortable admitting when I, there's something about hockey that I'm not getting. Okay, I mean, I'm a lifetime 
in this sport in every possible capacity. But I'm also never too proud to say, I'm not getting it. Someone help me out here. This gentleman advised me the next time that I watched the Dallas Stars play to just watch the back line. And I thought, all right, well, I mean, I already have a pretty good appreciation for who they have back there. I've always loved John Klingberg's game. I believe he's one of the best lateral, meaning sideways, skaters in the NHL. Watch for it sometime when he's at the point. The things that he can do, uh, carving up the ice so delicately to glide sideways and yet forward to get around somebody at the left point. It's a beautiful thing to watch. But there's more to it than that. Uh, Asa Lindell, Miro Heiskanen, these guys are big-time mobile puck movers. And what they were able to do, these three in particular, and these were the three names that were involved in this discussion, what they've been able to do is to allow Dallas to basically turn its attack forward. Just go forward. These guys get the puck, they move it, or they move themselves, or they join the attack, but everything goes forward. I'm leaving out here, and I definitely shouldn't. His name did not come up in this discussion, probably for obvious reasons. But Jamie Alexiak's been really, really good in these playoffs. He's done the same thing. And anybody who enjoyed his game while he was here, and I definitely did, I thought there was a lot of potential for him, was disappointed to see him sent back to Dallas. They won't be stunned by... the big rig doing well in these playoffs. He's fit in with this. So Dallas has all these name brand forwards, the Sagans, the Benz, Radulov, the guys that you've known have been down there forever, but they've never really crossed any particular threshold until it appears now. And that's what turned it around. That's what did it. And that was what I was watching for and looking at this game yesterday and really appreciating how Dallas would just, even when Colorado would come back and pop one in, these guys aren't necessarily the greatest defensive players. It didn't matter because the Stars just kept going forward. And if this feels to you like I'm headed towards something as it relates to the Penguins, I am. I'm the last guy to pile on to the Jack Johnson pile. But when you have defensemen who are not doing what I just described, and the Penguins had a pairing of that with both Jack Johnson and Justin Schultz, each of those guys being equally bad in the series against Montreal, it negates everything that you want to do up front because they aren't turning the attack around. They aren't sending your forwards in the other direction. They're not putting the other team on its heels. The reason the Stars are leading the avalanche is because they decided to play this series against Colorado's defensemen rather than against all those fantastic forwards and the best first line in hockey. And that's pretty smart, I'd say. 
I'd rather not try to figure out how well I can sit in my own end and defend Nathan McKinnon. Never mind Miko Rantanen, Gabe Landeskog, his line mates. I'd rather spend that time down in the Colorado zone, especially with Pavel Francus, the backup goalie, in net. Take it to them. Go down there. That's what Dallas has done. It's been fascinating to watch, but it should be a lot more than that, I would think, for the Penguins, particularly Mike Sullivan and staff, but also, you know, for the GM. Thanks so much for listening to this one. I'll be back tomorrow. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.